0: Empire of the Sun. Suns.
1: Empire of the Suns. Wet
0: like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book.
1: Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast.
0: Empire of the Suns.
1: Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman fresh from a Chicago trip. How are you feeling?
0: Oh, great. I'm great. It's hot well, as heck though.
1: I, it is, it, as heck, I, I would say, certainly, without a doubt. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you didn't miss a ton, buddy. We're going to go over it uh, today. We've got Summer League to go over. We'll get to that in a bit, and then we're just going to I guess for lack of a better word, reset on where the off season is at because a lot of teams, the majority of NBA teams are done right now. Uh, the Suns are obviously not done the Kevin Durant part, but then also just other parts of the roster that we will discuss uh, later on. But the first thing we should get to is there was an ESPN article that dropped on, was that Friday? I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm completely off on, on the days here. That was July 18th. That was Monday. Ooh, good good try by me. I'll, I'll, be, I'll try again next time. Holy smokes. Uh, so that was on Monday. DeAndre Ayton officially signs, re-signs with the Suns. That is nothing notable outside of the fact that DeAndre's statement or in the release, a quote from him, which sometimes those uh, press releases, Kevin, to give our listeners like a kind of the inside baseball here. Sometimes those press releases don't include statements from like the player or a quote from the player. Sometimes usually it's just the GM and and then sometimes the owners in there too. But that's about it. This one did include one from DeAndre though. He said he's happy to put free agency behind me and ready to work and compete for a championship with my teammates. That was at 7 o'clock local time. And then 45 minutes later, um, an ESPN article from Mark J. Spears came out. He spoke with DeAndre Ayton, he spoke with James Jones, and he spoke with Monty Williams. This was extremely relevant, Kevin, because this was the first time we had heard from DeAndre at all. DeAndre was quiet the entire free agency process before the free agency process in between Game 7 and the free agency process. He did not speak after Game 7 at all. Monty had only spoken after the game and then the day after the game, and that was when Monty said on The afternoon after the game, um, the day after the game, he basically said, like, yeah, DeAndre and I haven't had a one-on-one. And some people chose to freak out about that. And it hadn't even been 24 hours since the the game ended. Uh, And then James Jones spoke just kind of how the whole process went. Um, The article painted the right picture. Uh, it it, it let out there and, and let everything that you kind of want to hear from a Suns fan, persp- Suns fan perspective of DeAndre in returning, which is that he and Monty Williams, according to DeAndre, are on good terms. He described their relationship as calm, which is, a, which is a good word to use concerning how not calm it looked at the end of Game 7, of course, which everyone was talking about. Monty called Game 7 a bad day. He did not go into detail at all about the spat with, with uh, Aiton, like him and DeAndre, I'm pretty sure we're both asked about it with the way that Spears kind of like had the article kind of set up with the quotes and everything and, and the way that it was kind of directed, but none of them really talked about it at all uh, except the fact that like their relationship is in a good spot. Monty in the article did say that the loss was embarrassing, which was kind of, again, going back to how we talked about this a week or two weeks after the elimination it was just bizarre to hear Monty, chris devin just say like it was just another game and then that's why we really spotlighted Mikel on jj reddick's podcast talking about how embarrassing it was and how he's aware that this is something that could follow them for like the rest of their careers essentially is what he was alluding to uh but but outside of that uh, kevin I, i'm trying to think of other things to spotlight in terms of like updating the audience on the sun's podcast to keep them up to date on sun's news but Typically what you would expect to hear, Kevin, James Jones told DeAndre on July 1st they the plan was to always resign him. The article including included reporting from Adrian Wojnarowski that the Suns were never interested in a sign-and-trade with the Pacers. It did not include Kevin anywhere that the Suns were not interested in a sign-and-trade with all teams. There was nothing to that matter in terms of turning down the Suns, shopping him or including him in potential sign-and-trade offers to other teams. Gambo said on the air this week that Utah and Phoenix had at least one conversation about a signing trade involving DeAndre, but that was the extent of that end of it. And then we all obviously know like the Kevin Durant part in all of this, like any Kevin Durant, deal, kind of for, for just like flexibility reasons and value reasons, student reasons had to include DeAndre. So none of that was in there though. And uh, I, I didn't have many takeaways from it outside of, Oh, look, the people talked. Uh, Did you take anything from it a lot, anything too much?
0: No. yeah Um, I mean it's 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 nice that they got kind of the closure um and honestly like I'm sure you're mad about like it'd be great if they put DeAndre in front of like you know the people who cover him every day um so they could ask the questions but I'm sure Spears asked those questions and their blah responses and I'm sure you would have gotten the same blah responses um if he was in front of you. So I think that's kind of the only thing from our perspective of just, um, it's hard to tell if all the questions were asked, if all the, the things we want to know are going to be answered. And I, I think it's an, a big no. Um, because when you go back to that game seven, I think it's again, beyond Deandre. Um, I, I think that was just a little point in a lot of things going wrong. If we're going back to that, we don't need to rehash all that, but, um, And the other thing is, when you look at this, DeAndre played all year and played pretty well all year with this situation where they had kind of insulted him and not given him the max last offseason and all that. And he he played pretty well, put it aside and realizes, I think, I think he's a dude who realizes, like, that's a lot of money is coming his way either way. And You know, whether the basketball things that go good and bad happen or not remain to be seen. But I I think he's proven that he can handle the business side of it um, pretty well.
1: Yeah, I thought his quotes came across really well, just in terms of it's a business, I'm being a professional. And I liked the fact that he was like, this is very DeAndre that he was willing to admit. Like, yeah, this was very – it made me anxious, like, this whole process. And the way he described it, I thought, was really on point and just how a lot of us could relate to ha- if we were in that situation, which was just, like, I just want this to get over with. Like, I just want to figure out where I'm playing and then get to work. Like, just have some – um, just have something cemented in terms of just where I'm going to be. And, like, for someone – you think about, like, playing on the team, it's like, okay, do I have to move halfway across the country? You know what I mean? Like, that's the part we kind of forget about, too. This guy yeah. just recently had a son, and, like, this is, like, a really huge – this is the biggest moment of his life so far was this like three week, four week stretch because his life could have, he could have, like I said, he could have moved to Indiana. He could have moved halfway across the country to this brand new place. He had never been before when he's been in Arizona for most of his life since he was, or not for most of his life, but for most of the time since he got here when he was 15 or so. So I think that was something that kind of got lost on, on a lot of people throughout also, kind of like, the
0: process for him. No offense to the Pacers, but I think there is an element of the Suns being like, are we going to be better without Deandre Aiden? But Deandre Aiden can also go the other way and say, "Is my career going to be that much better? Am I going to have fun playing for the Indiana Pacers?" Like I, I like that roster. Whatever, but I think a reasonable NBA player would look at how well they've done in the last two years and be like, "I have it pretty good." If they're going to give me, I think Deandre said, generational wealth, and I stay here and know the guys even if you have some things to clean up relationship wise or whatever. um, That's, that's a big pull. Like it's, it's a good team and, and grass isn't always greener and all that stuff. No, uh, to dot our eyes,
1: cross our T's. The last time we podcasted, I believe it was a couple hours after the news that day when he had uh, the, the offer sheet had been thrown out and then it was matched and all that stuff. We got the details that the Pacers didn't do anything goofy with the contract, Kevin, which is just like, I I understand what they were trying to do. Indiana was trying to bait them into a sign and trade, essentially, and just saying like, "We'll do it. We'll throw the offer sheet on him. Like, you better do a sign and trade with us." And then the Suns just like, "Do the offer sheet. Like, we'll we'll match anyway." And then they match anyway. But there's no player option in there. There's no like poison pill elements where there, there's like front loaded salary or trade kickers or anything weird like that that we saw kind of got popularized a bit ago. You'll remember like Jeremy Lynn was one of the first instances of that a long time ago where Houston uh, Maury gave him like that nutty front loaded salary. I think it was, and it had trade kickers and all this weird stuff. and had pretty much everything in it from what I remember, but nothing like that from Indiana side. Uh, and, and that was kind of surprising, but I, I guess kind of maybe spoke to, some level of f- finality here that we weren't talking about, Kevin, where it felt like if you were signing him, like Phoenix was always going to match. And that's, I don't know. Did you have any really like big takeaways? Cause I know I, for restricted for agency, just like, Oh, this is kind of stupid because <laughs> I think a lot of people were like, yeah, restricted free agency is kind of whack like that. That was a lot
0: of people's reactions, but I don't know. I, it, it, it exists for a reason. It exists for a reason. And there's a reason why, There aren't a ton of offer sheets thrown around at all. And a reason why, like, guys, I mean, it it just sets up a lot of waiting, I think. Like, we saw with the Bledsoe thing in Phoenix. um, Their Gordon thing in Phoenix obviously is a different situation where they're trying to get a guy. But I just think it's, like, causes this weird waiting game that might not be necessary. Um, But it obviously does protect the team that, has the rights of that guy um which it's that's why it's set up to do that so yeah i mean i don't know there's also the element of like i I believe it was kevin pritchard the pacers who basically went out there and admitted i don't like being the guy to screw with other teams it was
1: i believe it's the owner of the of the pacers themselves yeah who is just like i don't like to screw over
0: other owners basically yeah And, and i think I think I'm sure they tried to convince James Jones to take a sign and trade. Um, and the Suns obviously have to like what's coming back and they didn't. Um, and then they're just like, look, well, we, we will just throw you a standard max to see if the sun seriously won't match it. And I think James Jones took that in a professional manner too, where it's like, yeah, we will. And I'm not going to like burn you for two more days and make you suffer through two days. And not let you get on with your life, I'm just going to say, nope, we're going to match that as soon as it comes across. So I thought, I don't know, it's just I think the personalities of the people involved are important when you talk about these complicated scenarios that are created by NBA rules that have reasons behind them.
1: We hit on a lot of what kind of like the immediate reaction was to DeAndre because we did an immediate reaction podcast, Kevin. So I hope we did that. That's not the best transition I've ever had in my podcasting career. I'll try and get better here for the next couple coming in the next 15 minutes or so. I wrote two pieces on ArizonaSports.com, just kind of detailing just what comes next. And, and the first one was just on DeAndre and a lot of what we talked about last episode, which is how the Suns are going to have to be better about this, but DeAndre is going to have to be better about this. I'm under the belief that like DeAndre should be upset with the way that it happened because Something that uh, Bernsey and I talked about on Tuesday when I was on Burns and Gambo was that there's a, there's a quote in the Mark J. Spears article from money talking about like, of course, it's about money. Like you're being naive if you're just acting like all of this isn't about money to a certain extent. And for DeAndre, I, the way that I phrased it is like, if you're making $30,000, $300,000, $3 million, $30 million, $300 million, whatever getting paid like what you're worth and what you think you deserve and what you think you've earned and all of that stuff matters no matter what level of money we're talking about. And in my opinion, this is just my sole basketball opinion. I think DeAndre earned that $180 million after the way that he played in the finals and everything that he showed and kind of proved. And then he didn't get that money. So I, I just kind of wrote about how like the mending that, that needs to kind of happen and how, this is exactly what Monty Williams has been set up for. He is the most players coach, players coach we've ever seen uh, in Phoenix ever. And the benefits that the Suns get from Monty's relationships with the players, that is this to a T is having him. If it needs to be fixed, because we don't know, like from that standpoint that they've been quoted or Deandre has been quoted saying the relationship's good, but if it needs to be fixed, it'll get fixed. And then there's obviously like on court stuff where, he he needs to get the ball more, and 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 they need to prove to him that they believe in him to get this January fifteenth nonsense not hanging over their season, or or else things are going to go wrong. That's just the way that it works. If this guy's playing the whole first two and a half months of the season like he thinks he's going to be traded, he's not going to play. He's not going to play as well as he normally does, and and then to the other extent in terms of looking ahead and where we can kind of change the conversation now to. Future roster moves, we talked about the Kevin Durant part and just how from a salary standpoint, the Suns are going to have to gut their roster a little bit more. There's the tax bill, which the real benefit of what they got done is that they paid him less money, and that makes their tax bill shorter. But now that means they have to spend it elsewhere. Me and you have been saying every episode, and every episode we come on, they have to use their taxpayer mid-level exception. Gambo, when I was on the show with him yesterday, two days ago, sorry, two days ago, um, was saying that he believes this could be like last year again where they look to use it on the buyout market potentially as one of the options, and they did not do that last year with the $4.5 million of their mid-level exception, $5 million, whatever it was that they had left over after they signed McGee. They just didn't use it. This this like cannot be one of the, those instances, especially when their depth is in such a bad spot right now where even if you just take a shot on a dude with $6.5 million and it doesn't work out, the fact that you took that shot on him to potentially get someone who could be your seventh, eighth, ninth man on the roster, like that could change your season, essentially, if you hit on that and you have this chance to do it and, and they need to take it. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, obviously. There's there's just making other trades happen. So like, if you trade for Kevin Durant and your luxury tax bill gets up to like 80 million or whatever, now it's 80 instead of 100 because you're on this deal with DeAndre, whatever the math kind of works out to be. Well, was there anything else that was kind of percolating in your head, Kevin, after the offer sheet got matched in terms of ripple effects and, and what you're kind of looking else for them to get done in the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. So I went through a couple of days ago and just looked at their roster and their salaries and, and they're basically at a full roster now. Right. And that if, if KD's still with Brooklyn, let's say this is the roster they're rolling out. Um, that means they wouldn't use that exception money. That's still just a lingering, even though for agent market, you know, is hit kind of a dead spot, but there's still guys that you could go get. Um, they can wave guys. I don't want to get into how they deal people for Kevin Durant because right now it's more just, it would be straight up money being exchanged. Um, so you would find the cap space uh, just by you, who you have to trade probably. Um. So really it's kind of like, I don't know. Are we, are we back at talking about Eric Gordon? Are we talking about Dennis (laughs) Schroeder where they are signing some guys who they let go? I think Jock Landale is not a person who has a a fully guaranteed contract from what ESPN posted uh, a few days ago. So there are a lot of moving parts here, but if you look at the salaries, it is top heavy. Like once you get past your top six guys or sorry, your top five guys, Um, your starters from last season, then it's all below $10 million salaries. That's a lot of different varying contracts. You can move fairly easily. Cam Johnson remains the guy who has a lot of value along with Mikel Bridges, but just because he's cheap right now, but could be extended. Um, So there are just a lot of ways to look at this roster where they have the ability to do a lot, but I don't know what they're going to go do. And Kevin Durant, obviously, if you're really waiting on him still, which I believe they would be then, that's kind of just going to dictate uh, everything until that's kind of decided. Yeah, I said um, on Burns and Gamble
1: on Tuesday when we were talking about, like, what's next for the Suns? I said if they don't go out and add, like, a ball handler who is going to play serious minutes for them, like, as a reserve, then this offseason is is a failure. Like, they they do not get a passing grade from me. They They really don't. Because of everything that we've talked about in the last couple of months, everything that we look at with Chris Paul, everything that we look at from campaign and Landry Schammett, just everything mixed into that. Like if they, if they don't find someone else and, and that's the thing, Kevin is that they just need to get one anyway, right now, even in the Alfred Payton, Aaron holiday kind of role, their roster is very imbalanced right now, which is where we did the Brian wind Now, why is that the Kevin Durant potential trade like a Koji and Lee are, are fine for the roles that they're in, but it's actually not fine when you have four wings in front of them, which is what the Suns currently have right now. Like those guys are scheduled to like not even come close to like playing in a, in a regular route, like a, a 10 or 11 man rotation. Like they're not going to play. Um, so you, you kind of look at it differently from the, from the guard position. It's like, you've got Paul Booker, Payne, Shaman, and that's it. And then no one else is really like an on the ball guy from the wing or taking any of that equity in other places, which is where you've got to just have, like, an insane amount of faith in campaign. But, again, like, I, I wrote about this in January, I want to say, when Shamit was really struggling. Payne was still struggling, but starting to figure a few things out. This was before he played super well when Chris Paul got hurt. Like, do you want to bet your season on this? And you look at the way the Mavericks season, I know seven-game series very close, and, like, if they just had more competent – ball handlers, especially for what Dallas was doing with trapping Devin Booker. If they would have just more creative solutions uh, on the ball, they would have done a lot better. And they're, they're going to be in a really, not a really bad spot, Kevin, but they're just going to be an excellent basketball team again in the regular season. That I'm immediately going to have the same questions about them uh, in, in the postseason unless we see some, like, dramatic improvements from DeAndre as, like, a focal point of the offense or Mikel as more of a focal point of the offense, which I think we're at the point of, like, we're not at the point of no return anymore, but we're at the point of like stopping to bank on that to be like the solution they, they need to go out and find another one themselves. And, and I'm still, to be clear, I'm not there yet at all in terms of framing it that way. They should be waiting for Kevin Durant. I'm going to keep saying that like everything being on pause for them. It makes total sense. Um, this is what they should be doing. But if all of this – like if we hit a point with the Kevin Durant stuff in like August where it's like this isn't going to happen until training camp or whatever, they need to go. And whatever kind of flexibility they're holding on to with the Durant trade that they're not willing to let go of in like another deal for a ball handler or whatever, um, they they need to forego that and just go get that guy. Um, Do you agree, disagree with like the amount of – the imperative action that I'm asking, the imperativeness
0: of, of this action, Kevin, do you agree with me? Disagree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at some point you got to have a plan. And when it's clear that Kevin Durant's not going to happen right now, I think, I honestly think like you got to spend the mid-level and move around a couple pieces like, like we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um, just to get a little pop elsewhere. And I don't know where that is, if that's moving the guys on expirings or whatever, but you got to go get Dennis Schroeder. If he's off the market, he's still in the market, right? I don't like miss that, but he's he's still there. Yeah. So do that. And if he's gone like this, I'm just talking out my butt here, but if you get to the very start of training camp and it's not going to happen with Katie, like if you want to spend some of that mid-level on Michael Beasley and give you some pop off the bench and cause he's the only guy left, sure, whatever. You gotta find something, right? And I, I'm just throwing his name as an example, but they have to do <laughs>
1: that would be a hell, a hell
0: of a move. It's fun in my head. Um but yeah. they gotta do something with that money, I think, at some point. Um and, and here's the thing too, is I'm not I'm also not of the for all the criticisms we've talked about all off season and about how they ended and their flaws. I'm going to say right now, the, the ability to trade guys doesn't just stop. Like when the season starts, if you roll with this roster that we're looking at right now into this season, um, I think you would still win a lot of games. Um, yeah. I think some guys would be improved and then look, there's a trade deadline in February, so you can get some point in December or January where it's like campaign and Landry aren't cutting it. We need to go do some big moves and maybe spend more money then. Um, and I still think they wouldn't be like 10th place in the West. So I, I don't think there's reason to panic either, even though we think there are ways to improve pretty easily. So it's, it's a tough tightrope because of the KD situation though, right? Because it's just going to be like, when do you have that trigger where you're just like, all right, we need to move on. Um, or, or do you just keep that all the way to the trade deadline? Do you reopen it next summer? I don't know. Yeah. we'll we'll circle back to what we
1: did a couple episodes ago, looking at the West and how we ranked it next to the Suns. We'll do that once it appears that the off season is indeed over. There's a Donovan Mitchell trade that still needs to happen. Like there's, There's a couple of different things that need to happen, but I I think you phrased it correctly. And, like, I'm not saying, like, there should be panic within the fan base and panic all the way around if they don't make any other semi significant move going forward, because they're still going to win this roster alone, like, will win at least 55 games in the regular season again, even with how good the West is. I feel very confident in saying that. But I just think they're going to hit a wall again in in the offseason, just like they did, or in the postseason, just like they did the last two. And I think it would be foolish to kind of waste six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, whatever, if the plan at the plan A is okay, let's give Cam and Landry one more shot. Let's see how it goes for the first two months of the season. Like, remember when Monty was playing Tyler Johnson as the backup point guard for like three weeks? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe maybe they'll just do that again. Um, I don't think that would be smart, but I also think that they have a much better idea than I do in terms of how much is still left there in terms of Payne or Shamit together as like the lead ball handler off the bench. And this is like I still think that Campaign should be on the roster. I I think he would be excellent in the role that I kind of foresee him in, which is not the direct backup point guard, but just a change of pace guy. Kind of how the Suns use like Saric and Kaminsky. But like at point guard, when they just want a little bit more zip there, they can, they can bring him in sometimes. But I, I just think that like him as the everyday backup point guard, it's, he has proven that like you just can't rely on him, especially with how it tailspin in the, in the playoffs last year. Uh, and especially with how important it's going to be to like not put too much stress on Paul specifically. Like we, we keep coming around to that. But yeah, well, that's just kind of like putting a, putting a bow on it um, with some finality right now. Uh, and then whenever it kind of comes up or doesn't come up in two months, I guess we'll we'll retread and we'll we'll go back again to it. Do you want to hear about Summerlee, Kevin?
0: I guess. How was is Ish, Wayne? Right.
1: Ish was great. Uh, they used Ish like they use Ish now. They put him in some small ball five stuff, especially in the in the last like two games. They use him a lot more as a small ball five. And it worked really well defensively. It worked on both ends, to be honest. But he was catch-and-shoot guy, coming around movement. Uh, They, like, put him in a couple of sets where it's, like, designed specifically for him. Like, he's in the Clay Thompson role, essentially. Like, that's, like, the the highest example, of course. But just a shooter, the J.J. Redick stuff off movement kind of thing. They used him like that a bit, which is great. Because, like, you want to turn him into more of a shooter like that. Makes a ton of sense. The roster, as we talked about going into it, was not um, one that we expected to produce that type of like eye popping performance, and we didn't get that. But Olivier Saar was pretty good. Uh, he was the one guy to me outside of Ish that really made sense for one of the two way spots. To be clear, Ish can come back again on the two way. Suns have still not used either two way spot. The rule is you have to have less than four years of NBA experience, and then you can only do a two-way with the same team twice. So Ish is all, obviously in his second year. He's only done it once, once with the Suns. So he can come back. Someone like Louis King, for example, though, is now going to be in his fourth NBA season if he comes up. So he cannot be signed to a two-way. Uh, McKinley Wright was was a guy we talked about out of Colorado who I thought had a chance to kind of impress. And he was he was okay, but it wasn't just like kind of a standout performance like Sar where I thought like maybe a two-way was possible. There were a couple of other guys that were pretty good. Their bench was actually kind of fun. Um, Ahmad Kaver and Tyson Carter, I believe, were the name of the two backup, point, backup guards. They were fun. Um, but they, they played like Suns basketball, Kevin. Last year's team really tried to, uh, but it went horribly wrong, and they were, they were pretty bad. Uh, this year's team tried to do the same thing, but it just went much better for whatever reason. I, I think having a guy like ish probably or not probably certainly helped compared to last year's group that was kind of led by Jalen Smith and Tyshawn Alexander who were on the younger side on a really old roster outside of that. This one was even older. Uh, but no, there wasn't anything like there wasn't even like a huge performance by anyone or anything like that. Just, uh, ish looked good, uh, shooting threes. And, Doesn't that make sense, Kevin, for everything that he's doing? Why don't, like, we don't just, you can say like, hey, Ish, you need to work on your threes. And everyone thinks like, okay, catch and shoot in the corner, P.J. Tucker, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like, let's send you around screens if you feel
0: comfortable with it. And he looks comfortable with it. Yeah. And I mean, that's what's interesting about him and how he fits with the Suns is they didn't ask him to be like, Ish, you need to go score 30 points to be, like a consideration for this roster was like, no, nope, we're just going to kind of use what you were doing on the suns and maybe build it out a little bit. Um, So that's kind of interesting to me where it's very much not having a guy who's obviously an capable NBA player do too much. Um That was my only takeaway from the very little I watched.
1: Yeah, so they're, they're at 14 roster spots right now. So they got one more, and then they have uh, 16 and 17, obviously, which is the two two-way spots. They could obviously do what uh, they did last year, which is that Ish played on Toronto's Summer League team, went to training camp with them, got cut right before the final roster was finalized, and then they signed Ish uh, from, from Toronto. So they could, they could look to do something like that, get someone from another team elsewhere. But for now uh that's pretty much it there wasn't like immediate takeaways which i, I don't think we were expecting any but to be clear that's kind of where we are at uh do you want to come back every week for the next six weeks and talk about the kevin durant thing or no i don't think i want to kevin
0: no we okay we can be we can be picky and uh come back when it's warranted i'd say
1: Yeah. For those of you that are new listeners, typically how we approach this time, which has been different the last two years because we didn't have a real off season. We actually have a real off season. Now we'll come back when there's something to talk about. So if there's like enough there, it's not like we're just going to sit here and not do anything. Like we're, we're like, no, we're not podcasting for two months. That is what it is. We'll be back. if there's something to to talk about. So whether it is some two way signings and other things, or, or it's them using the TPM MLE, or it's them actually making a trade, uh for a guard for kevin durant we'll we'll be back Uh, we'll probably do a mailbag episode at some point here too uh but for now it's like it's like a soft sign off do you like the way i phrase that kevin a soft sign off i think that's the yeah good way to good way to characterize it i guess i don't know do you would you bring your dog to your press conference if someone was giving you 230 million dollars
0: you can do whatever you want right so yeah yeah, I guess Kyler I would. Pay for, I would probably pay for doggy daycare first, but I guess I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I think
1: I would like like to look at it as one of the biggest moments in my life, and I would want my family to be there, and my dog would be a part of my family, so I would yeah. want the dog there. So yeah, Kyler Murray's dog was with him today when he signed his extension. Um, he talked after getting the extension. We haven't heard from DeAndre Draden and we haven't heard from Devin Booker yet in terms of uh, an availability, and I don't think we're going to get one. So Who would have put money on that this offseason? Wow. I would have really loved to have seen Haven at a press conference, but that probably would have been my downfall because then I would have asked for one other one cool. with Haven, and then I would have just asked <laughs> questions to a dog that can't speak, and that would have been uh, not a good use of my time. So rich people have really cool dogs. I will say that. Like I'm (sighs) done. Yeah. I think every single dog is cool, but their dogs are amongst the coolest. I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it that way. Yeah. Okay, buddy. It was good talking to you. Um, don't lose your mind too much on third round rookies as pass rushers in training camp. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Bye everyone.